going to be preaching on the the Tower of Babel this morning, and I started a series last week that's called So Long Babylon, and uh, the premise is there's there's two kingdoms in, in confrontation. Uh, one's losing every day. It's, it's called Babylon, but the kingdom of God is advancing. It says in Isaiah 9 that there's no end to the increase of Jesus's government. Somebody say Amen. amen. <laughs> The gospel is increasing every day. We already talked about that. And so uh, the kingdom of heaven is manifesting more and more and more in the earth, despite what it looks like out there, despite what the news is saying. Isaiah 60 says, arise for your light has come, though the earth is in great darkness. And so it's, it's this contrast. And so as we, as you get older and as we uh, move further ahead in time, there's going to be more of a contrast. There's not going to be as much of a blending. And so you're going to, Jesus said you're either for him or you're against him. Uh, there's no neutral ground in the kingdom. That's part of what we talked about last, last week. Uh, Switzerland declared their, themselves neutral in World War II, and then they ended up being used by the enemy because they housed Nazi money. So if you're, there's no neutrality. There's no riding the fence. Uh, I rode the fence for a long time as a Christian from the time I was 9 to 23, and Jesus, I was in, stuck in pornography, stuck in pre, uh, premarital sex, and uh, was trying to get out of it. I would ask God, I, I told him, I said, you know, I, I know you don't want me to do this, so if you don't want me to do this so bad, why don't you help me? And he, he said uh, a couple days later after I asked him that, I was walking down the stairs, and it was really the first time I heard the, the still small voice of the Lord in my life because I never was seeking the Lord up until that point. And he said, I'm not going to give you any freedom until you give me all of you. I was, because I was one foot in Babylon, one foot in the world. And so the Bible, another word for Babylon in the, in the scriptures is just the spirit of the world. The kind of, you can interchange them. And so, but there is a, what we see in the earth is the, is the conflict and the confrontation. And uh, I want to talk about how the Tower of Babel kind of, Babel means Babylon. And I don't know if you know, but Babylon means confusion. Okay, and so I want to set up, give you some context for the Tower of Babel, and also encourage you to check out this uh, website that this video comes from as a resource because they do a really good job of explaining the Bible, um, and also they give you like a, a plan to read the Bible and everything. But let's show this Bible. It's going to be talking about Genesis chapters one through eleven. It's about six minutes long, but I, f I feel like it's worth it. Good video. Yeah. All right. Who wants to come down front and give their lives to Jesus? Sometimes I feel that way. But uh, so it's setting up just uh, the way man goes when they, when they try to do it their own way. They you know, sin is taking yourselves out from underneath the authority of God, out from under his leadership and trying, and you deciding what is good and what is evil. All right. And so... We come to the story of the Tower of Babel, and I'm just going to read this story first. It's in Genesis uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, I believe, or maybe shorter than that. But it says, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, and settled there. 
They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. If you just... I mean, the first time I read that, I was just like, this is a weird story, you know. But there's, um, there's reasons why it's in the Word of God. So this is uh, actually what this tower would look like. It was a ziggurat, if I'm pronouncing that right. And so that's, it's stacked. You have one big square base, and then you build a little smaller square base, and you have these multiple levels and on, typically only priests and kings were allowed to go in these temples of worship. It wasn't a public worship place. Here's another picture of one. And these are all throughout the Middle East, especially in Iraq and Iran. Most of them are found in Iraq, which is uh, just where Babylon used to be. And, and so, uh, so these are, this is what the temple would have looked like. I don't know how high it was. They said, you know, the largest one they ever found which we're about to get into was uh, at least seven stories high. So they, these uh, Mesopotamian ziggurats were not places for public worship or ceremonies. They're believed to be dwelling places for the gods, all right? So though the ziggurat, through the ziggurat, the gods could be close to mankind and each city had its own patron god. Only priests were permitted inside the ziggurat and it was their responsibility to care for the gods and attend to their needs. That's a really strong god right there, right? Yeah, he's got to have a caretaker. So as a result, the priests were very powerful members of Sumerian society. An example of an extensive and massive ziggurat is the uh, Marduk ziggurat, or Etamenanki, of ancient Babylon. That word is the name for the structure, and it's Sumerian and means the foundation of heaven and earth. Now, this is what they thought they believed to be the Tower of Babel. And this particular one was called the foundation of heaven and earth. So something was going on in Babel, you know, where they were uh, exalting themselves too much. So it's been suggested that the ziggurat was a symbolic representation of the uh, primeval mound which upon which the universe was thought to have been created. The ziggurat may have been built as a bridge between heaven and earth. All right, there's only one bridge between heaven and earth. His name is Jesus. The temples of the Sumerians were believed to be a cosmic axis, a vertical bond between heaven and earth and the ear. So this temple was, the cre- it was called the creation of heaven and earth and was the name of, uh, this was the name of the ziggurat to Marduk in the city of Babylon. Marduk was the patron god. It was originally seven stories in height, little remains of it except ruins. And it was later popularly identified as the Tower of Babel. So this is, I've always had the Leaning Tower of Pisa imagery, but this is ziggurat, okay? 
So what are some lessons from the Tower of Babel? One of the things that they said is that they said, let us reach up to heaven. Okay, this, was, this is a problem. And this is actually a problem with uh, most other religions besides Christianity, is that it's man's attempt to try to find God. Man's attempt to try to please God. You have, uh, I, I got in and studied some Eastern religions when I was in college because I was, actually, I was struggling with what I grew up with. I grew up in a Christian home, but I was doing my own thing. And so I was like, is, I just wanted to be free. That's, I remember thinking, that, I, was like, I just want freedom. I just want freedom. And so I was looking at Eastern religions and I was looking at uh, Hinduism and there's an eightfold path to enlightenment. You may not even reach it in this life. It may take multiple, multiple lives to reach the eightfold, the eighth level. I was like, well, that kind of stinks. Um, and then that you had uh, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Taoism, which is, you know, really part of the reason the monks get away is because they, it's, they're changing their external circumstances to try to find peace. Instead of, in, you, you live from the inside out. So it, you, you got to have a change internally. And so I, I was like, well, I don't really feel like devoting my life to Zen Buddhism. And then I did, I did grow up with enough. I grew up, thank God for the Baptists, that they, they do preach the Bible. And I do remember, I, I had a strong idea of there's a problem, and it's called sin. And no other God rectified the problem of sin except Jesus. And then I thought, you know what, Jesus, Jesus came and he came to earth. Instead of man trying to ascend to heaven or ascend to an eightfold path of enlightenment or trying to, trying to ascend, God descended and came to man and became the bridge between heaven and earth. No other religion does that. There's no other religion that the God dies for his followers. And there's no other one who claims to be the son of God. And so Jesus, it says that this is the Antichrist, that those, if you, they don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. That's part of the Antichrist spirit. But also this, uh, let us reach the top of the heaven. When you read that, they're not trying to, they weren't just being like, look, we made the biggest building in the world. Aren't we awesome? They were trying to create a high place. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, Righteous kings, it said he destroyed the high places. It talked about Josiah doing that. So there's high places. This is an occultic form of, of worship where, hey, I'm going to try to please this God. The higher I can go because he's hard of hearing, I got to get higher. It's not, I mean, and so what happened to Elijah? He, he, he challenged a thousand prophets of Baal. He said, you take an ox, you set up wood around it. And you call upon your God, you call upon Baal, and that God that answers by fire, he is the true God. And then Elijah, so they, they danced around, nothing was happening, they started cutting themselves, nothing was happening, and uh, Elijah said, maybe your God's hard of hearing. He said, maybe he's asleep. 
And then Elijah took his sacrifice. He took his ox. He dug a trench around the sacrifice three feet deep, filled it with water, wet the wood, wet the ox, and he prayed to God, and God consumed the ox, the wood, the, the water, and the dirt around it. He, he's, and Elijah said, he is the God that answers by fire. And he's still the God that answers by fire. What we, God, you know, part of, I believe God's sending revival, but I also believe that revival came 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ, that we, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the revival man inside of us. So what we really need is a consuming fire. And it's a dangerous prayer. If you're not, you have to be willing to die for the consuming fire. <laughs> but the death that you pay or whatever price you pay isn't really a price at all when you look at Jesus. And so that's why we got to fall in love with Jesus. Because when we look at him, it's like, eh, eh, yes, take that, please. It becomes an easy choice when we see Jesus. But if we're looking at something else, it looks like it's big and it's costly. But when you look at Jesus and you surrender fully, it's not a cost at all. You see from an eternal perspective, you see that this is something I can't take with me. This is something that is not going anywhere. This is temporal. You are an eternal being created for God, for life with him. So what they were trying to do is they were trying to ascend to these high places. And this is where they would commune with these demonic spirits. And it's ultimately witchcraft. And so you have priests and kings, the rulers of the, these regions and cities, and they're communing with demonic spirits for strategy on how to control the people. That's what witchcraft is ultimately just control. Why does a witch throw a curse on somebody? To control them. All right? And so witchcraft, anything that's controlling, manipulating, it's a form of witchcraft, whether it's in the political realm religious realm, or it's a straight-up occultic religion, all right? So this is why the Bible is opposed to high places, because God's like, can you build a sanctuary for me? Remember him telling David that? He says, I can't be confined in a sanctuary. God is with them. That's the promise to Israel. He's like, I will be with you. You don't have to go to a high place. I'm with you. What's the promise through Jesus Christ? It's not only I'm with you. He says, I am in you. And you are in me. You can't get any closer than that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Guys, you've got to be aware that there's evil forces in the world that are in high places, that are principalities. There's, there's ranks of demons. You have low-level demons. You can call them the soldier demons. And then you got general demons, which are called principalities, which can affect regions and nations and cities. All right? You have to be aware that the, these things are influencing people. They're in the high places. And they also try to occupy the high places of culture that influence culture, so, like media, uh, education, government, 
the family, business, all the things that shape culture. I'm leaving out a few of them. And so the good news is we don't have to ascend the heavenly places to try to find God. God descended from heaven and found us. And so God, it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it says Jesus is far above all rule and authority. Far above. And you'll notice in the Tower of Babel story, it says, come, let us build a, a tower. Let's re- reach the heavens. And it said, I love this. It said, the Lord came down and looked at what they were doing. <laughs> Jesus, God's above it all. They were trying to get as high as they could. And the and Lord's like, he's the, in the highest position. He's above it all. Somebody say Amen. He is far above all rule and authority. His throne is the highest. Glory to God in the highest. All right? Ephesians 4.10 said, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is what Jesus is currently doing. He's filling all things in the earth. He's filling all things in the heaven. His government is increasing every day. There's no end to it. Another lesson we learned is they said, let us use bricks for stone. Bricks are uniform, homogenous, unvarying. You can look at, look at that wall right there. I can't tell a from, you know, which one. I can't tell anything on those white, those white bricks. The stones are cut out of larger rock and they're different shapes and sizes. When you build a house out of stone, you can't just, you gotta strategically put the stone in its right place. You can't put a little stone on the corner of the house or a stone that just can't bear the weight of the house. That's why you have a cornerstone. And you can't, it's, it's strategic. It takes more time. It's not as quick. And so sometimes I, I feel like even the Lord's just saying right now, you're, God's building something in you and you're looking at the world and you're thinking it's not happening fast enough, but God's building something that's going to last much longer. And so Solomon's, so thing, the stones have to be placed strategically and Solomon's temple and the temple afterwards was built of stone. Okay. So God's temple is built of stone. Guess what you are. You're God's temple. Guess what the church is? It's his temple. Guess what? You're not a brick. You don't look like me. You don't look like anybody else. And God strategically places you in his temple, in his body, because there's nobody that can do what you can do. There's nobody that can do what Jesus can do. That's why he's the cornerstone. And so you have a place in God's temple. You have a place in his body that no one can replace. Part of the reason God likes stones is because diversity helps create accountability. God, and he's also creative. Uniformity, it stifles creativity. I went to Latvia back in 2005. Latvia was part of the uh, Soviet Republic, which was uh, a communist country, as most of you know. So Latvia, so communism stifled creativity. It tried to make everybody equal, tried to make everything the same. And there, the buildings in Latvia that the Russians had built were 
uh, it would it would literally make you depressed to look at them because they didn't even paint anything. It was just gray cinder blocks. Everything looked the same. And people and there is there is no outlet for creativity. There is no outlet to or freedom to whether it was creating business, creating art. All that was stifled because it was a threat to looking different or, or and the, the reason why is that the more, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. I always do that. So I'm going to try to resist. So uniformity stifles creativity. And in the midst of diversity and cre creativity, we come into unity under Ephesians 4. So everybody looks different. Everybody's a different stone. But this is what we unite around because Jesus did pray for unity. So we got to understand what unity looks like. It doesn't look like everybody looking like a white cinder block over there. This is what unity centers around. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's talking about the Bible. And then it goes into apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. It goes into more about what the body of Christ looks like. So it's not talking about uniformity. It's talking about unity. There's a difference. And so this is why I think uh, the Bible actually speaks against globalism, one world government, whatever you want to call it, because it's in Revelation chapter 13. It says, uh, the Antichrist is going to have every, you're going to have to have the mark of the beast to trade, sell, buy, or do anything. Every, every, it's the, and he says he's going to have him control over the nations. But also, I want you to read, I'm going to read uh, Revelation 14.8. Because what happens when you, when you consolidate power at the top, guess what? The, the devil's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He has to have a strategy. So if he can consolidate power and if he can just manipulate a few people that have lots of power, it's much easier for him. But when you have diversity, you have multiple nations, it creates accountability even in the earth. And God, it talks about all, you just, the nations, the nations, the nations, all throughout Revelation, all throughout the New Testament. Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, says he's the, um, over all the nations, plural. Okay, and so Revelation 14, 8, it says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon's going to fall. And, this, and the world system tries to corrupt, even deceive nations on a big corporate level. Did you know that at the judgment day, we all will be stand before Jesus if you're in Christ it's reward day and because it's, it's what were, how were you faithful with what was given to you and you're going to be given a reward according. It's not about salvation, whether you're getting into heaven, it's about reward. Judgment day, that's why it says that in Joel, it says it's the great and terrible day of the Lord or Malachi, the great and terrible day of the Lord because it's going to be a great day for those in Christ and it's going to be a terrible day for those not in Christ. And so you have uh, uh, Babylon, this spirit is meant to, is 
to deceive the nations, to um, entice us according to our sins. It just it plays on the flesh. It plays on the sins. That's how it gets a hook in us, and it's just the way the the world operates. First Peter chapter two verses four through six says, "As you come to Him, a living stone, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious." You yourselves, like living stones, are being built, built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Thank you, Jesus. Another lesson. It says, Let us make a name for ourselves. You can tell you're in Babylon when you want to make a name for yourself. We all got a little bit of Babylon in us. The Lord's uh, 2004, I tell some of my stories over, guys, so you just got to bear with me. But we were having church in Fort Worth, Texas at Convergence Church. And one of our elders got up and he says, I feel like, we, we need to just ask the Lord if there's anything we need to repent of. And so it was during worship, and I said, uh, God, is there anything I need to repent of? And he said, you crave the praise of man. God, is there anything I need to repent of? I was like, that, that, I don't know if that was the Lord or not. So, Lord, is there anything I need to repent of? And he said, you crave the praise of man. Now, I had no emotional attachment to this thing. It didn't make me sad. It didn't make me happy or anything. So I just went to a, uh, I was by, in faith. I went to one of my elders and I said, hey, uh, Gary, I just need to repent for something. He's like, okay, I just want to confess it. And uh, I said, I crave the praise of man. And all of a sudden, godly sorrow hit me. Because when you obey the counsel of the Lord, it says, Jesus operated in the spirit of counsel and might. When you obey the counsel of the Lord, Jesus' might and power comes. And um, so I said, okay, the praise of man. And, and then there's also been times, I remember before I, I went to seminary, I was like, Lord, one day I'm going to have a radio show. Maybe I'm going to be on TV. I have a, I'm, I'm looking at at least a 2,000-member church. I, would have, I was having these thoughts, and I didn't even realize because of the sin I had in my heart at the time. I was, just like, I was just like, this is normal thoughts, like for a pastor, right? I mean, shouldn't we try to do this? And then the Lord's like, uh, Travis, let's back it on up, buddy. And so there's this thing in us that wants to make a name for ourselves. There's a thing, and it's, part of it is because you were born for greatness, Jesus looks at you and says, I, I want to live there. That's what makes you great. Jesus, the, the, the one who seeks you out, is what makes you great. The God of the universe wants to come live inside of you. He says, I want to live there. That's where your worth comes from because he saw you as, as worthy of being his vessel, of being his son, his daughter, the place he wants to take up residence. And so that's where we get our worth from. It's not from anything 
Everything man offers us is temporal. God is eternal. And so it says in Psalm 34, 3, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And it goes into talking about what demonic wisdom looks like. It says, seek wisdom that's from above, pure, peaceable, full of mercy, good fruits, without hypocrisy. And then it says, demonic wisdom is full of strife, malice, jealousy, ambition. The, word, the, the thing, make, that phrase, making names, you have some people, some scholars interpret that as that they were trying to make names, different names for things, or like relabeling things is another way you could put it. So language matters. Language matters. The way we define things matters. That's why the good news, it's not the good sword or the good food, it's the good news. It's, 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 it's the power of the gospel is in the message. It's in the words, God created the earth by, by speaking it forth. And so there's power in our words because there's spirit on your words. So God spoke the world into existence in the same way the devil tries to create new realities by changing definitions. So Babylon attempts to rename things just changing the meaning of the language. We, we see this in marriage. It's tried to redefine marriage is not between a man and a woman, but between any, whoever you want to marry. And so whenever the Supreme Court uh, turned over or allowed homosexual marriage, it wasn't just um, homosexual marriage that was starting to be allowed. People were starting, they wanted to marry their pets. They wanted to have multiple uh, partners, you know, up to, I mean, one guy wanted to marry four women, so it was polygamy. And then you had proponents, uh, men who wanted to marry boys that were young because it, so it just, when you try to, when you, there's a standard, when you cross the standard, when you try to redefine it, it opens up the floodgate because there's no boundary anymore. All right. And so the devil wants to release chaos and confusion. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like anybody. He's full of hate. He doesn't love anybody. He's, he, he just wants to destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't come for any other reason than that. And so when you try to redefine these things, gender, when life begins, what is life, all those types of things, other than what the Bible says it is, you're crossing the line. The, God's word is the boundary. Because he created life. He knows what's good and evil. This is what we talked about in the, in, in, the, in the video. Man tries to define what's good and evil. And we get it horribly wrong. And so we have to, and so these things are legitimate struggles. I, there's no, it's, it's just like, and so if somebody's struggling with same-sex attraction, that's a leg, I understand that that's a legitimate struggle and people need help. People are struggling with gender dysphoria. That's a, that's a legitimate struggle people need help with. But it's just like I struggle with pornography or somebody's uh, struggling with lying and manipulation. There's all sins. They're all dysfunctions, but we can't call a dysfunction normal, right? 
if you want to get healed of something, you can't call it normal. It's, it's just a, and no, no sin separates you from God any more than the other one, but there are different consequences to the sins. It says he who sins against us with, in sexual immorality sins against his own body. So there's a different consequence than if you lied or if you stole something, all right? And so God is a good father. And he's saying, don't play in the streets. There's Mack trucks that come through here. And it will light you up. My son, Josiah, he was about to grab an electric fence one time when we were guarding him, trying to keep the deer out. Didn't really help. But I saw him. I mean, I was at my house. If y'all been to my house, y'all saw where we have that fence. He was, he was like this. It was slow motion. I went, stop! He went. <laughs> Had it spent 10 minutes just like, I love you. I love you. Listen, I'm sorry. I know that scared the P. Rooney out of you, man. But listen, I, I will do that every time if it's going to save your life or keep you from like that kind of hurt. I love you. And I will not stop. There's another time he almost ran out in the road on uh, Hancock or um, Doherty Street. He saw me. He went, Dad! And, and there was cars coming, four lanes. And I did it again. I went, stop! <laughs> he went, <laughs> And I did the same thing. I was like, son, you got to look. It's like, I will, I will yell like that every time because it saved your life. You understand me? And I... Parents don't like getting scared in the first place. You just like, do not do that again. And, and then I turned around and Toddy was crying too. I scared Toddy. So, uh, Toddy, I love you. And so, but man, we, we have to name things the way, we have to call it what God calls it because that's the bound. He def he created life. How many of you raise your hand if you remember the day you uh, decided you wanted brown hair or you wanted to be a man or you wanted, nobody remembers that because you didn't do it. You didn't create yourself. You're not your own authority. There's, whether you recognize it or not, God's the authority. He's the creator. He defines what life is. And so he knows the way it operates best. And so we just, we got to come into agreement with that if we actually want to live a life that's full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's just a warning because God loves you. You know, it's, um, you know, in the Old Testament, you have three levels of sin. You have a sin, which is where, like, um, if you got frustrated with a friend or something and you just, you didn't plan on doing that that day, but you just got, you're like, hey, man, or whatever, and you just, you just sin, okay? So you have that level. Then you have transgression. All right, what the Bible calls transgression. Transgression is when I'm, 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 I'm plotting and I'm planning. I'm, I'm going to go rob your house tonight. And I'm, I know I've been 
case in it, I'm gonna go rob your house. So you've planned on doing a sin. And then you have the third level, which is iniquity, which means you're actually trying to twist and call evil good and good evil. Iniquity means twisting. So you're trying to redefine things. You're like, no, me robbing your house is good. Even though most people wouldn't say that. No, me, sexual immorality is good. I'm fulfilling my desires. God created sex. He knows how it operates. It operates in the context of marriage, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. And he says, go have yourself a good time with that ring on your finger. So Babylon means confusion. God confused their language because he saw that what they were doing, trying to do was dangerous. There would be no end to the exalting of themselves with their new technology and like a universal globalistic language. So one language would be used to exalt the flesh and dark powers. And then I always, I've always thought about this with Babel. There was a confusing, uh, uh, changing languages, making many languages, and then God brings tongues into the picture in the New Testament which is diversity of tongues for what purpose? Bringing you into alignment with God. He says there's many tongues, there's, there's, there's angelic tongues and every, most everybody I've ever heard pray in tongues, they've got a little bit different tongue. So there's a diversity of tongues, but yet you're unified because you're coming into perfect agreement with the Holy Spirit and Jesus who are making intercession for you. Because the Holy Spirit's praying through you when you pray in tongues. And so God made a way to come into agreement, to strengthen your spirit and to come into alignment with him. And he says, let's make tongues. I like that. And so we did. So the spirit of Babylon equals confusion. The devil doesn't want you to know what you're fighting. Why in, war, in warfare, I always thought this was strange. And then people started wising up. But in like, uh, you know, Revolutionary War, Civil War, they march in a big bunch and they're like, we're coming out to meet you in battle. And because they thought it was an honorary way to do it. And we won the revolution because we hid, we confused them. We didn't come out in the open. <laughs> you know, we did guerrilla warfare. So now modern warfare is, I'm trying, you have guys in, uh, Civilian clothes who are spies. They're not out with their, their uniforms on. They're trying to deceive. They're trying to confuse you. Put your attention over here because that's how you win the war. The devil uses the same strategy. He tries to, hey, look over here, look over here, or confuse you. What am I doing? I'm disillusioned, whatever it may be. So, but God is not a God of confusion, but, but he is a God of order for those who are in Christ. Confusion is a sign of being out of right relationship with God. Now, let me clarify that. I get confused sometimes. It doesn't mean you're not seeking the Lord. But one thing I do, I'll use this as an example because I lived the life of when you're, when you're having sex with multiple partners, you're, you're giving of your spirit. I'm preaching my whole next sermon next Sunday. So anyways, and so when you're giving, your, when you join with another physically through sex, it's not just physical. Your spirit's actually joining with that person's spirit, all right? And so when that happens, you make a bond. And say so you leave this person that you slept with 
and you go over here, but you're leaving a piece of yourself with this other person. And you come over here and you have sex with this person. You form your spirit bonds with them. And then you go and you leave a piece of yourself over there and you go to the next person. And then pretty much you're scattered. And when you're scattered, you're confused. I've seen that. And you feel like there's still a part of you wants to bless this person that wants to be with this person because you had sex. And then there's a part of you wants to be with this person because you, you had sex with them. You're, when your spirit gets joined with them, you want to, it's this thing, you're like, man, they're horrible for me. They, they don't, they're no good. They treat me like, like doo-doo. I had multiple words going through my head, but <laughs> they treat me like doo-doo. But why do I still kind of want to be with them? It's because you've been having sex with them. Your spirit's joined spirit to spirit. So there's a part of you who wants to bless. That's why God, he said, when you do it in marriage, when you have sex in marriage, your, your spirits become one. You become one in Christ. And so there's a part of you that no matter what kind of fight you get in with your spouse, you're like, I want to bless them. I want to serve them. I want to be with them. It, it seals the covenant because, women, you have a hymen for a reason because every covenant of God sealed with blood. And so when that covenant, when, when women, when that, that hymen's broken, is saying the covenant has been made. This is who you've joined with. When Jesus shed his blood, it says the covenant has been made. You've been made to be one with me. And the devil wants you to be confused. But Jesus came so you could see talked about this. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which men had built. God is above it all, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's seated at the right hand in heavenly places. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Guess who's seated with Jesus above all things? The church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Lord. So how do we respond? One of the first things is just to become Bible literate. So this is that video that we showed. If you know what the, one thing is, you just got to know where the boundaries are. So you got to know what the Bible says. And in the first John 4 says the commandments of God are not burdensome. So I know boundaries is almost like a trigger word. Feels constraining, but it's for your, it's for the blessing. It's just like just think of my son, keeping him out of the street. That's a boundary, right? I want my son to live. God's the same way. He said he's a much, much better father than I am. He doesn't want you to. He doesn't want to see the wages of sin is death, guys, and so he doesn't want to see you live in that life. He wants. He wants you to do well. He wants you to prosper in your in your mind, body, soul, and spirit. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be free. It's for freedom that Jesus Christ came to set us free. That's the paradox of the kingdom is that you're actually free when you submit to Jesus. He's not like other kings. He's not a heavy-handed master. He's the king that actually says that sets us free. He's the king that actually washes our feet, that serves us, that doesn't 
he's even doesn't, you know, saying that you got to be a slave before you can become a son. The prodigal son, he came back home. He said, that's better. Just, I just, I'll be a slave in my father's house. It's better than feeding the pigs. And when he changed his mind, it said he came to his senses. He came back and the father restored him as a son. Jesus just doesn't operate the same way we do. So you do your best, as 2 Timothy 2 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Other, the King James says, study to show yourself approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 1 John also in chapter 2 says, you've been given an anointing to actually be able to teach yourselves. Like you have the, you don't need to even hear from me. Whatever I say is just like a cherry on top of the cake that God's been making all week in your intimate life with him. It's just, it should be like, yeah, God, Lord, you're speaking that to me. This, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. And so you also, you spend time in worship, you pray in tongues. Praying tongues builds up your spirit. You got to have a strong spirit to stand firm. You got to be able to set your face harder than flint, is what Ezekiel said. God said, he's out, I'm going to make your face like flint because these people are going to ignore you. But the hardness that they ignore you with is, is I'm going to make you even harder. All right. So we spend time, we worship and pray in tongues. We become unselfish. This is a Holy Spirit work because none of us were born this way. One of my kids, uh, or so Lydia was trying to take a nap yesterday and one of my kids was being loud. I'll let y'all guess who that one was. And uh, I said, hey, I said, listen. And I, this was like the third time I'd gotten on to him for being for being loud and uh, he's like, uh, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, just, Josiah, think about Lydia. Don't think about yourself. Think about Lydia, all right? Because he was just wanting to play and have fun, which I'm all for, but we're trying to let her, her rest. I said, just think about Lydia, buddy, all right? He said, yeah, Dad, all right, I'll do it. And so, and so you, got, you have to have some training in that and you have to have the Holy Spirit do some supernatural work in your heart as you, as you surrender. And then the fourth is what I alluded to is just standing firm in the faith. And you don't, you overcome by the blood of Jesus, the word of your testimony and not loving your life unto death. That's also part of overcoming. Sometimes we just limit it to uh, the word of your testimony and the blood of Jesus, but there's a third part of it, not loving your own life unto death. Jesus said, don't love your life or else you'll lose it. Okay, and so um, we want to just submit ourselves to the Lord. All right, if y'all stand up, if the worship team will come, come on down. Part of what I want you to, uh, the ministry time is going to be, is if the Lord is just showing something, showing you something that you you need to repent of, just go to somebody, like I did with a, the elder at our church, or it, it can be a friend, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be elder or anything, but just go to somebody. There's power in your confession, and just and like calling it like it is. 
when you walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all transgression, from all sin. And so part of the power of the gospel is when you're honest and you just call a spade a spade, there's no shame in it. God already knows. So it's like he, and he hasn't struck you down with lightning, right? right? So like, he, he already knows. He just wants you to take that step in the relationship of just, hey, let's deal with this because it's holding you back. He, he loves you. And he's, and no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what sin or struggle it is, Jesus is over it all. He had mercy on me. I mean, I rejected Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over through high school and college. And here I am today because Jesus was faithful to me even when I was not faithful. He didn't give up on me. He doesn't give up on you. He's not that kind of man. He doesn't give up. He's always looking out on the top of his house, just like the prodigal father, saying when the son's gonna come home. So he, he loves you and he wants the best for you. He just wants you to give up what you can't keep. <laughs> and he wants you to, to let him deal with any sin that's holding you back, that restrains you. So we're gonna worship one more song. If we have our uh, ministry team come off to the side, and I invite you just to, uh, like I said, just get honest with the Lord. And part of that is just, I really think in particular, it's confessing your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So find somebody that you feel like you could do that with, confess it, and let Jesus deal with it, get it in the light. All right, so let's worship.